0: Welcome to the 10 Degree Shift Podcast, where your host, AJ, shares small 10-degree shifts you can make to improve your business, its people, and culture, one shift at a time. Hi,
1: and welcome to the 10 Degree Shift, a show that's all about making small, sustainable changes in cultures, business, and life so that you can become more healthy and vibrant. I'm your host, AJ, and I'm obsessed with teaching people how to find their truth and to move into perfect energy alignment so that they can be less or do less and be more. And today I have the most delicious, beautiful human with me, and that's Danny Lloyd Pritchard. Danny, are you there? I'm there. I'm here. How are you, AJ? (laughs) Great to hear your beautiful voice in your beautiful little she shed that you're in. Um, let me tell you a little bit about Danny and why I wanted to bring her on as our first interview for season two of the 10 degree shift. So Danny Lloyd Pritchard is a bee advocate. Yes, B double E, not just the B as in being, <laughs> but actual buzzy bees. She has a passion for educating bee lovers and beekeepers on actions to help their bees that ultimately conserve, regenerate and sustain our environment for all of us living beings, for all of us humans, for all the animals, for all the plants. So it's time to be and it starts exactly where you are right now. Danny. now I know in our leading ladies group that you've been a member of, we call you the bee lady and we do that fondly. How
0: did you get into being a bee lover? Well, a bee lover started as a child. I think it was that obsession with being outdoors and just observing nature. I loved watching ants and the ants, ant trails and watching them carry these little crumbs of food to their little ants' nests. And I used to think that's incredible. And then, as you're observing, you start to notice what's flying around you. And I noticed the bees collecting pollen off the clover. You know, as a child, I used to roll around the grass and do gymnastics and play all sorts of silly games with my brothers and forever getting stung during spring and summer. Mm-hmm. And so the bee-loving obsession probably start from started from pain and then progressed as I got older and moved into university life and studying a biology degree and still obsessed with the study of living things. I, I went on to education and found myself actually about – just over 10 years ago in a position where I was working at a worm farm for a local council here and I was educating people on green waste management and part of that education program was to take them through a permaculture garden and talk about companion planting and all the interactions that happen in a garden and what's required to ensure that your garden is sustainable and to do that you need pollinators And as I was looking at my work garden, and then I started, you know, replicating, walking the talk, so to speak, in my home garden with my then young family, it became pretty obvious that there was a a missing gap in our food web, so to speak, and the pollinators weren't there. Our cucumbers, our pumpkins, our zucchinis, things weren't getting pollinated properly. And we even got to the point of having to hand pollinate. So, you know, having grown up in Lake Macquarie, moved away for a while to the territory and then came back. To Lake Macquarie I was really shocked by the sudden loss of bees in areas that used to be swarming with them and that just yeah that just got me thinking you know that they're not here we need them and how can we bring them back or what you know to start questioning and looking around what's happened to change the environment and what can we do to fix it and bring them back because if you want to have any form of sustainable ecosystem whether it's a food ecosystem or whether it's You know, your native gardens, your native plants, your your native bush, it Mm. needs to have pollinators to bring those plants into a viable seed, which will then regenerate for future generations. And um, we need those pollinators. So bees are the most obvious ones because Mm. they're easy to spot and they are the easiest ones, I believe, to keep or to care for in your own backyard.
1: So I'm really fascinated. How does a loss of bees happen? Is that because their normal um, territory is removed or destroyed, or what? What creates a loss of bees? Is it is it chemicals? What what is it?
0: Yeah, I think around the world we've been. Made aware of the bee crisis mm. it 's not so obvious in australia we, we don 't hear the conversations around the demise of bees through chemical spraying, although it does happen in some areas or the um, you know the dreadful impact of the varroa mite on bee populations the honey bee populations around the world so certainly overseas in America, we hear every year of massive losses of honeybee colonies through winter, mm-hmm. you know forty to fifty percent in some cases beekeepers are losing their hives in Australia that that levels a lot less um, but it's definitely a result of multiple factors so Mm. we're going to have obviously chemicals chemicals we know chemicals that kill insects that impact on the health of insects or the food that they forage on so you think of fungicides herbicides pesticides all of those things are known to impact on bees and other Mm. pollinators particularly pollinating insects you've also got the loss of habitat you know, what changed in my childhood around Lake Macquarie in 40 years was definitely the loss of bushland, mm. the loss of farmland and the increase in concrete jungles, basically. Yeah. Um, mm. Our catchments, our water catchments are becoming smaller. We're increasing the density within our town centres, the population's going up and the pressure on our native and natural areas has increased. So, yes, you've got the chemicals, you've got the loss of habitat. You've also got pests and diseases mm-hmm and these are quite often a result of the stresses brought on by those other two factors mm. so when you have chemical stress you've got the you know the food resource stress then you're more susceptible to those pest and diseases and we also bring you know that condensing aggregation of honeybee colonies into large areas and They're just naturally, you know, as we've seen with COVID, I guess, in the larger cities, where is the biggest impact happening on humans Mm. with this horrible virus? It's where they're all congregated really tightly and closely together. That's no different for other animals as well, and bees bees fall into that category. So yeah, they're they're the three main ones: pest and diseases, chemicals, and loss of habitat.
1: Great analogy (laughs) that you brought in how COVID's affecting humans, and I'm already seeing kind of. I guess, some segues or similarities between company cultures where I often work um, or leaders and their own health and that their environment has so much to play on that. You know, whether they've got chemical stress, food stress, work stress, uh-huh. family stress, that's where <laughs> things start to break down. And the same thing, what's healthy for humans is to get out in wide open spaces and go back to nature. It's it's the same as it is for bees. You know, nature knows best. Um, exactly. And, So on the flip side, enjoying bees and and loving them, what are some of the cool things that you do to support other beekeepers and people who want to do more to regenerate, um, you know, the (laughs) bee colonies and
0: populations? Okay. Well, as a beekeeper, probably my favourite thing to do is to share the bounty of my hives. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you have healthy bees, and you're going to have healthy bees if you have a healthy environment around them, you are going to get a surplus of honey. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not about the honey, mm. to say. It's about caring for the bees. But, you know, there are times in the year where you can harvest a small amount of honey and other products from your hives and share them. So mm. sharing that raises the awareness with the receiver. Suddenly they're in awe of you, for starters, of being able to produce your own honey or wax yeah. from your hives. And then when you say, oh, there's so much more we can do, and then you look at the, I guess, historical uses and value of honey through the centuries, um, through thousands of years, actually, that gets people thinking about the connection of honey to humans and our evolution and the importance of bees and their place in human evolution. They've been there for tens of thousands of years. so. You know, it's it's that sharing, it's that awareness. And then it's people saying, what can I do? I've heard that the bees are really in trouble. And they start, you know, almost entering into this fear state of we're losing our bees. And I've heard that if we lose our bees, we're all going to die. Um, so, yes, that's great that there's been this awareness, but it needs to come with a positive and the positive being there's so much we can do now to save our bees. And there's simple things you can do. So, for starters, buy from your local You know your local markets, your local beekeepers. If you're able Mm. to consume local honey, do it. It's incredible. It's one way to taste your environment. It's one way to taste your backyard. You know, it's (laughs) like in the honey. Um, You know, and other things. Consciously think about how you are managing your gardens and your environment in your local community can you talk to people about not spraying, so to speak? Is it mm. a better way to remove that small patch of weeds that might be bothering you Um you could probably mechanically remove them rather than putting that spray around, yeah. you know, does your house really need to be sprayed for spiders every few months? You know, what's happening there, you know, it's, it's all linked. Look at the plants that you're putting in your garden. And, you know, when I'm talking about honeybees, I am talking about the domesticated European honeybees that are kept in hive boxes, but there are other bees, there are our native bees. So even if you're not into the European honeybees or into honey, so to speak, you can still be doing things to support Australian native bees. And, you know, we have over 1,600 identified species so far of Australian native bees. So if you can put in native plants into your garden, if you can leave some wild areas in your garden to allow them to go to flower and go to seed, to leave some bare patches of earth, that's going to encourage a lot of our native bees to come in and start nesting. They will nest in the ground. You can put in little nesting bee hotels. Yeah, over 70% of Australian native bees are actually ground nesting bees. Mm. So you may see little holes at certain time of the year, these these tiny little, you know, pencil or pen size holes in bits of gravel or on the edge of creeks or dams. And you're thinking, what is that? And you might see something hovering around and sometimes it looks a bit like a wasp and you might get a little bit scared, have a closer look you might see it's actually native bees and they're nesting in the ground there. So, you know, get that native habitat happening, get the native forage, look for native plants, particularly native to your area. That's going to support your native bees in your local environment. Um, Share the story. If you want to become a beekeeper, join a club, learn about it. I can help people. I do help people get started with that, that whole journey and, Believe me, it's obsessive, (laughs) addictive. (laughs) I I think, you know, we all see the paraphernalia out there. There's bees everywhere these days and they are beautiful. And and why is it we're so attracted to that? Mm. It it resonates with us because of the importance they play in our food security and in our entire cycle of life on this planet. Bees are there. Um, They quite often relate bees to like the canaries in the coal mine. Mm -hmm. the bees are also an indicator and a warning sign to us that things um, may not be in balance you know we need to be looking at this they're screaming at us they're telling us they're in trouble take note of that look at what you are doing in your life look at what you can do in your backyard in your local community in your local environments and see if you can make the smallest changes to just make a difference to where you are now and you'll see you'll see within a season the bees will return. Mm. If they're there and you provide the right habitat and the right food for them, they'll they will come and they're like these flying jewels in your garden. They're mm-hmm. absolutely beautiful, particularly the native ones. Colours are incredible.
1: I love that. <laughs> and and, and I know when, smell. when I think of bees, I you know, I smile. I think of happiness and and joy. And as you know, I'm I'm actually sitting here interviewing you, looking out on um, my embankment, which is um covered by bushland and I've been oh. plant, I've been planting some natives. So um, I haven't noticed bees yet, but I've noticed a lot more um, bird life uh, and little tiny yes. kind of nectar eating birds and that around now because I've planted quite a bit of native shrubs that have um, are flowering plants. And so I'm oh, looking great. forward to having some more bees return around yes. this area. And I did not know that they nested in the ground. So that's really good to know. And I am looking yes. at um, alternative ways of weeding, such as doing that manually and all those sorts of things, so that there's no pesticides mm. out here. Um, so mm. Yeah, I'm learning lots from you already. So <laughs> that's great. I also know that from history, and you know I'm a massive honey lover, it is my sweetener of choice, honey and maple syrup are like my, you know, God's nectar. Um, mm. You know, I know that people like even at the Mayo Clinic have used honey to treat burns. It's often used for wounds and wound care. And even surprisingly, sometimes people with diabetes, um, they use honey as part of their treatment. I think psoriasis mm. and people who have skin disorders will often use honey mm. so there's loads and loads of uses isn't there
0: oh uh, there is and you know prior to the development of antibiotics honey was the main treatment for a lot of those conditions and certainly during the war in world war 1 a lot of wounded soldiers were treated with honey on their wounds yeah. and we've we've sort of come a full circle now and we have a lot of scientific data to support the beneficial use of honey for treating certain skin conditions. Mm. So it is absolutely an antiseptic. Honey has those properties of antiseptics. We hear a lot about the Manuka honey as being a medicinal honey. And that was driven by the discovery of that in New Zealand. And the name comes from the Manuka plant, which is a leptospermum species of tree. And in New Zealand, they have around three or four species of leptospermum but we also have that same plant in Australia, and, and you know we have over eighty species of leptospermum plants. So wow. it's new and it's happening. There's a lot of research now looking into Australian honeys and their medical or antibacterial activity, just you know just to see how they compare to the known manuka honey. And what mm. they're finding is some of the Australian honeys are actually more active. Wow! And yeah, and so it's a very exciting field of research. At this stage, you know, the recommendation is it's, it's medicinal honey that you should be applying to your wounds. Mm-hmm. So that honey that you can get from chemists and, um, and doctors, etc., has been treated to a point. It still has the activity, but it, it doesn't have any potential pathogens that may affect some people. So mm-hmm. I, d- I don't sort of advocate go and use any honey, but if that's all you've got, obviously raw honey is better. Um, certainly the medicinal honey has been proven to be at the right Activity to treat certain conditions. And they, they do now issue it at birthing suites in hospitals to women that have given birth and may have some minor tears. They're being given medicinal honey to, to put on those wounds. So, you know, far better for everyone around well,
1: but you know I it's, think when it's I so, die I'll be preserved a- <laughs> <laughs> my body won't decompose oh. because I've eaten
0: so much honey well yeah. that but you know there's there's stories out of the Egyptian tombs of mummies being found almost embalmed in honey mm-hmm. and in clay pots filled with honey that's thousands of years old wow and it's still edible you know, so honey as a product has an extremely long shelf life. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as far as using it as a wound treatment, it's, you know, the best things it does for people with ulcers and for those open and infected wounds, the ones that are resistant to antibiotics, that's mm-hmm. where they're finding. The best application you know it doesn 't stick the wounds to the dressings it removes the smell of infection it mm. deslows or removes the dead tissue so it 's proven it does work but if you 're going to go and spend a lot of money buying a medicinally active honey and you 're just going to eat it it 's not going to do much for you you 've right. spent a lot of money on something where you could have just bought. The cheaper honey which is still raw and local and beautiful and got the same benefits if you're just okay. going to eat it. So well that's you know, great advice. something to be conscious about.
1: <laughs> and a bit of know-how for people. Now um I'd love to know a bit more because this is the 10 degree shift podcast and it's all about how can people make small sustainable changes. What's something small if someone's listening and going, hey, I'd love to support local beekeepers or do a bit of that myself or just create more of the environment? I know you said planting some plants in your garden or keeping Mm. some of it native. Is there any small things otherwise that people could be thinking about doing themselves?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, If you grow herbs and vegetables in your garden, let Mm -hmm. them go to flower. Mm -hmm. Quite often we're rotating our crops before they've had a time to flower or even set seed again. Let them go to flower and watch what bees come to visit them. Mm-hmm. Um, put in a, a bird bath, you know, put in some water sources around your, your property, not only for the birds, but it will bring in the bees. They do need water. So they're, they're just little things. Look wow. in your chemical cupboards at home and, and see if you can remove some of those harmful chemicals from your, you know, let's say routine of gardening. Mm-hmm. Um, is it necessary? Really question everything you're doing mm-hmm. around that. Yep. And just, so again, um, a at local nursery.
1: Mm, awareness right? consciousness yeah awareness yeah and so do you advocate kind of at your local nursery asking them what are kind of some of the flowering plants or vegetables or whatever that are encouraging of bees
0: yeah yeah I do and I'd say if you can find a wildflower nursery Mm -hmm. and or visit a local land care nursery Mm -hmm. and find out what native plants endemic to your area and what are going to flower at certain times of the year so one of the best things we can do for european honeybees in australia is to make sure we've got some sort of flowering forage food forage for the bees throughout the year because we don't have the ultra cold temperatures in this area the bees will forage throughout the year so they do need things in autumn in winter in spring and in summer so yeah look at what's flowering when Take mm-hmm. take note of that, almost start a little nature diary or in your own backyard or your own parkland and observe, observe mm-hmm. what's coming in. Put in a little native bee hotel. I'm not advocating huge ones because I don't want to aggregate too many bees into one place, but you can build small little native bee hotels just using garden pots mm-hmm. or you could use tins and you can use some hollowed stems from lantana, grape vines, raspberry vines, any sort of pithy hollow stem plant that you might be pruning back, agapanthus, bamboo, all Mm. of those sort of hollow stem plants that we might have in our garden, you can cut them up into lengths of about 15 centimetres with a hollow end open and stick them into a pot and mount that up on a fence or somewhere in your garden and observe. Oh, wow. I love that. switch on your senses. Mm -hmm. You'll notice them. You'll be suddenly seeing. oh, I thought that was a fly oh my goodness, look at that. It's got pollen all over its body. It must be a little bee. Wow. So listening, watching, thinking about the bee's needs um, and just enjoying nature in your garden. And I think that's one, another thing that COVID showed us is, is when we were locked down in our local environments in our local houses and backyards, we did suddenly switch on some of our senses that may have been a bit dulled. And yes. we started to hear and see things that we didn't realise were there. Mm. And bees are going to be one of the first things you will start to notice if you leave those plants to flower. Let them flower. Yeah. (laughs) It's very sensory beekeeping. Oh, I love it. And I can hear your your
1: childhood (laughs) fascination with watching the ants and everything coming out there. And um, I'm going to try that. I've got some agapanthers. So I'm going to do a bit of that sticking in a pot down on my fence and just watch and observe and see what happens. You can have a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm, autumn's I'm a great watching, time, summer
0: and autumn.
1: Oh, great. I'm watching a beautiful brown male dove at the moment. <laughs> he's just sitting oh. out here on the veranda. He visits me every day.
0: Um, you need a little bee hotel outside your window so you can observe. Yeah. You will bring in not just bees. You'll get solitary wasps. You may get some other little ants and things popping in. hmm Yeah. Sounds great. <laughs> Sounds great.
1: So, Danny, I know people are going to be inspired listening to you because I love hearing all these stories and you know, and understanding more about the world that we live in because we are part of a really large ecology and ecosystem and we do have a responsibility being here on this planet to do our part, to play the right part in that ecology. What's some of the ways people can get in touch with you? And I know um, that might be dependent on people's locality, but um, and people could be listening in from anywhere in the world. So you've given some great tips to everyone. But how can people get in touch if they go, oh, my gosh, I want to meet this lady and learn more about how to take care of my bees?
0: Probably the best way is through Facebook. Mm -hmm. I do have a business page set up. Recently, actually, thanks to your leading ladies course, um, <laughs> I, I was pushed gently. But you pushed, were AJ. a nudge. <laughs> <laughs> a little nudge um, to start putting myself out there a little bit more. And so the Facebook page is called Time to Be. yeah, And you can search it just time and then the number two and then be. Or you can look up Danny Lloyd Pritchard. You can also find me there. But through Time To Be, you can send me messages and I can be in touch. I am based in the Hunter Valley of New South Wales in Australia. Mm -hmm. And I am happy to meet and talk with people um, who just want a bit of advice or, you know, they just want to consider their options or or just learn more about bees, beekeeping, bee products, things like that. I love nothing more than sharing this and sharing some skills.
1: Yeah, and she does, everyone. You can hear it beaming out of her. Um, And another exciting (laughs) thing that didn't require a nudge, I'm very thrilled about this, is you've got a podcast starting soon. So it's not live yet, but it'll be starting soon. Is that correct?
0: That is correct, AJ. Um, This podcast is going to be called Bee Therapy. And I'm doing this podcast with a bee buddy of mine called Patrice Newell, and we've called it bee therapy because when we looked at our lives and we looked at some of the most important aspects and exciting aspects and creative aspects, bees were the the one thing that we returned to. And we've been talking for years about bees. We ring each other, we chat for an hour or more on the phone each week, and it's always about our bees. (laughs) And we just decided it's time to record these conversations. So bee therapy is a work in progress. We are recording this Friday coming our first few episodes, and it will be released shortly um, out on the various, I guess, hosting platforms for podcasts, and we'll also have it available through our podcast. Facebook pages so time to be there will definitely be links up on that once we've got the episodes out the episodes are going to be touching on various aspects of beekeeping and also for bee lovers it's mm. we described it more like a good magazine Aww. so you'll be able to go there test your knowledge on bees we'll have some quiz questions we'll do some book reviews discussions around some of the research coming out some funny stories that we can share always <laughs> a good recipe or two. <laughs> oh yeah and um yeah yeah you've got to have the recipe right so anyway that is coming and it is going to be a lot of fun and we're looking forward to releasing it shortly so thank you for allowing me to mention that
1: sounds fantastic and it does sound like a magazine i think that's really juicy everyone who loves beads and i know you make honey mead and all sorts of things so i know those recipes are going to be great and i (laughs) um make a delicious sesame ball recipe that has honey in it as well. But another one of our leading Ooh. ladies, Mary, shared with me. So um I might have to Ooh. share that recipe with you to Please include,
0: do. Because
1: it's so oh, yummy. Yes. So yummy.
0: We're always um, on the lookout for proven, tested recipes for honey. Yes, it's so good.
1: um so everyone, please tune in in a in a, in a month or so when Bee Therapy is up and happening as a podcast as well. And I know um, Danny comes from a place, as she said, with with research and questions and um, things from all over the world. You've been involved in actual the formal associations for bees, isn't that right, Danny?
0: Yeah, that's correct. I've I've held executive and president positions on local and statewide apiary associations in Australia. I've, I've been involved in research through the University of Newcastle, bee research on native bees and European honeybees. I've also co-authored and compiled a book on Australian, an Australian ag guide to native bees. Mm. So that's out there. So yeah, I've dabbled in a lot of places. I've also developed and delivered the Certificate 3 in Beekeeping, which is a nationally accredited training for beekeepers in Australia. And um, yeah. So I do have a wealth of experience and background in beekeeping in Australia. And I just look forward to sharing that and helping people where I can.
1: Yeah. And she comes sometimes with jars of delicious honey. (laughs) So Danny is always a superstar when it comes to bees. But more than anything, I think what I love about Danny and a hubby and the way they live is that they practice what they preach. That they actually live in a sustainable way and they're very generous with their time and their energy and their contribution so please do look her up danny thank you once again for being on the 10 degree shift today and sharing some of your wisdom your knowledge and more importantly your passion
0: oh you're welcome aj thank you
1: it's been a pleasure until next time everyone remember if you want to see change in your world you have to start with you bye for now